This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by our Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. This is, this is no joke. No cap right now. Oh, don't know. I had, How, you're 30. I had a dream. You're Okay, but say I it right. You're dream. 30. I don't know what was worse, the fact that I made that sound like I was MLK or that I said no cap. Yeah, I, I chose to let that go in the moment, but I'm glad you said it. I don't know which one was you worse. You phrased that horribly. By the way, speaking of dreams, your nightmare is the Patriots make a trade while you're in the car? It's one Going of back to something you said on PU. Yeah, we can talk about that. We can talk about traffic. We, we spent about 30 minutes at the end of PU talking about anything but football, and that is reflective Alex, uh, about this time of year right now in, in the NFL, but the Patriots leave them to it. Uh, still somehow in headlines, even yeah. in the middle uh, on uh, June twenty second. We still have some things to talk about. Al- Evan I mean, Lazar, we got, we got news today. We got news right before the show. Yeah, we'll get it to it. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, uh, Patriots Catch Twenty Two, uh, here with you for the next uh, hour and, and tw- let's call it hour and thirty. Uh, we don't we don't have a two hour show in us today. I don't think. I uh, mean, we, little... we say that, but it's us. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you can join in on the fun at uh, webradio at patriots.com or 855-PATS-500 is the telephone number. But a few little things, a few little housekeeping items, and then we can we can talk about uh, traffic and, and the submarine and Marcus Smart and, and other things, too, as well. Uh, but uh, first things first, you just mentioned that there was a little bit of news just now from the Patriots side of things. Training camp, official. Yep. Official uh, July 26th open to training camp. Uh, veterans report on July 25th. Uh, then July 26th, the first day. The 26th through the 28th are the first three days of camp uh, that are announced now on Patriots.com. You can uh, come open to the public. Uh, we'll obviously be there. We'll have shows. We'll break it all down. It'll be a lot of fun. So the way that the rules work now, just to kind of set the stage for the first week or so of training camp, you can't be in full pads right away. So the first three days, and I think this is why they announced it in this structure, uh, the first three days will be non-padded sessions, basically an extension of mini camp. Yeah. I do think that the third Which day... Bill will say is still a teaching period. Yeah, I think the third day you can put on shells, but that not... not uh, you know, it's still going to be a non-contact. Practice. Right, we're Doesn't not matter. talking about like like game day shells. We're talking about like you know the soft pads. Right. Uh, so uh, that can still happen, I think. But the you can't put pads on the first day of pads. I guess is what I'm getting at to put this better. The first day of pads is likely to be like Sunday or Monday of the following week, depending right. on when you start your week. So that's that's really what we're looking at with training camp. I always love uh, the first uh, week or so of training camp, uh, but I, I think that we always keep in mind that really the, the, the true competitive portion of camp doesn't start until that second week. And, and, and this year in particular, uh, the joint practices are going to be – really where I think a lot of things are going to be figured out. So we're going to talk uh, about that. We're going to talk about a little bit about Jack Jones. Um, I th- I'm sure, Alex, you, you've written and, and said your takes about the, the legality and the you know the sort of um, non-football side yeah. of Jack Jones. Uh, we're going to stick mostly to uh, the, the football effect. I, I, I think that there's a ton to be said about the Jack Jones situation. We've talked about it a lot on PU. Uh, but I, I do think that the 
the football conversation needs to be had as well. Uh, do a little DeAndre Hopkins, take your calls, and, and we'll go from there. But I want to start with, with Jack Jones from a football standpoint. I think what's interesting about the way that things looked uh, with Jack Jones out there and, and looking – looking good and looking the part at outside corner in minicamp is that it felt like they had Christian Gonzalez on one side, Jack Jones on the other side, and then they were allowed to, to play all sorts of games in the middle of the field, right? Whether it's the slot, uh, whether it was deep safety, strong safety, like regardless, right? Like it just, they had options. They had things that they could spin the dial on. Uh, they had different bodies that they could throw. They could go three safety, play safeties over the slot. They could play a true corner over the slot, like a Marcus Jones or a Jonathan Jones. And I don't necessarily know if their, their win loss total is affected by this. Like, I don't think the Patriots go from a 10 win team to an eight win team. Cause they lost or potentially losing Jack Jones. But I do think that there is a trickle down effect on how they're going to have to allocate resources that this domino effect could have a pretty big impact on the secondary, just in terms of who is playing where and what roles and how much flexibility they truly have. And I think the two guys that it affects the most just directly are Jonathan Jones and Jalen Mills because now it feels like Jonathan Jones is going to have to go back to playing a little bit more on the perimeter as sort of that number two corner opposite of Christian Gonzalez and Jalen Mills is going to have to most likely go back to playing corner like you always talk about they they usually have three outside guys in the rotation well, when you lose one of the three outside guys that was supposed to be in that rotation, you might not have the flexibility anymore uh, to try Jalen Mills out at safety. You, you might need to move him back to corner. Now, maybe he plays a little bit of both, and, and he plays a lot, but that's a lot to play just in general. That's going to yeah. be like an 80 snap, uh, 80% snap usage. But I think that that's where I, I'm coming at it, that it has the biggest impact from a football perspective, is they're just not – we talked all – minicamp in spring about oh you know they're so multiple and they got versatility and they got multiple options and you know quarterbacks aren't going to know where guys are because they can spin the dial and they're going to be unpredictable and I still think there's something I still think they'll have elements of that but that was predicated on the two outside spots kind of not moving right like they okay we have these two things figured out so we can spin the safeties we can use different guys out of the slot now it gets a little bit more murky and guys have to sort of fit into more of a concrete role uh, which does hurt the Patriots it, 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 the lack of smoke and mirrors can potentially really hurt this defense I think in the back end but overall I'm not looking at this like it swings the pendulum uh, drastically one way or the other in terms of the bottom line yeah, I, I think it might have more of an impact. I agree with everything you said. I just think it's going to have more of an impact than you're laying out there. The other guy it impacts is Kyle Duggar. Yeah. Because I think Jalen Mills is a guy they're going to have play some safety. Jonathan Jones looked like a guy they're going to have play some safety. When Jonathan Jones did safety, if you want to call it the star position or yeah. whatever, Kyle Duggar was in the box. Mm-hmm. Now he's playing in the box less because he's got to go back. It basically bumps everybody back a rung, and... I still think on the surface, the defense is very good. Yeah. But if there was one weakness going into this, it was lack of depth in terms of true boundary corners. They really only had two established guys. And I mean, Christian Gonzalez isn't established, but 17th overall pick, right? Right. So 
you, you had Christian Gonzalez, Jack Jones. Who who was next? Who was their third boundary corner after that? It was probably moving Jalen Mills. It was back. either Jalen Mills or Jonathan Jones. Right. And then after those two guys, you get into Sean Wade Isaiah or Bolden Isaiah Bolden or Ramir Speed are right. the next couple guys. Quandre Mosley, maybe. So that falls off real quick. Yeah. And now you're taking a rung out of that ladder. So yeah. you're saying, you know, I don't, I don't think this impacts the win loss total or whatever. Like on the surface, it doesn't. If, Madden style, you turn off injuries, they're still fine. Right. But now, if Jonathan Jones gets hurt, or Jalen Mills gets hurt, or maybe Christian Gonzalez needs some time to kind of, you know, get accustomed to the NFL game, right. now they're in big trouble. Because now they don't have that guy, those guys on the boundary. Now you're really starting to pull, are you putting Marcus Jones back out there? Are you putting Miles Bryan out there? Are you putting Jabril Peppers out there? Yeah. Now it really starts to spiral on you. So I'd like to see them add another corner. I have a list of names up on 985thesportsup.com. The nice one plug. the one I'll give you that I know this this name is not like super sexy. I know it's not yeah. going to get everybody all hot and bothered, but I could see it. Remember Terrence Mitchell? Old friend Terrence Mitchell from last year? I, I remember Terrence Mitchell, but he didn't even make the team last year. Right. <laughs> right. But I, I, I go look at who's available would be my point. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, I mean, that's one, a guy I could see like at yeah. the very – I'm not saying – and that's kind of my point. I don't know that they're getting a guy that's fixing things. If you add Terrence Mitchell, he maybe helps buoy your depth a little bit, which right. they certainly could use, but this is just something now they're going to have to deal with. Yeah, I Terrence Mitchell's an odd name I, I had thought of, but that's a good poll. I, I think everybody looks at Marcus Peters, but they've had multiple opportunities at this point to get Marcus Peters if they were interested, and they've never really shown any sort right. of interest in the player. So most of the big-name guys, there's Marcus Peters, who supposedly is finalizing a deal with the Ravens. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, they've been finalizing it for like a week and a yeah, half now. So. But the other thing is, if you get in a bidding war for Marcus Peters, where's that money coming from? Yeah. Suddenly the DeAndre Hopkins money no, starts to you go. Don't, which, you don't want to really pay anybody. Right. Because you think that you're okay at the top of the depth chart. So you're really just looking for depth. Terrence Mitchell's a good So there, there's good some other suggestion. guys who are maybe like have a little bit more of a resume. Yeah. Then Terrence Mitchell does, a guy like Ronald Darby, but he's coming yeah. off a torn ACL. Right. Kyle Fuller, same thing, coming yeah. off a torn ACL. Uh, I don't love that. I, yeah. I don't, I, I, I'd rather kind of go, because you're not looking for necessarily a boom. You're not necessarily looking for a hit. You just need somebody who's going to help carry your depth to the next step. And to me, that's a guy like Terrence Mitchell. Yeah, it's a bummer because I think in a way, they by drafting Christian Gonzalez, they they almost upgraded two spots because they obviously upgraded the boundary corner spot, but they also upgraded the slot because it bumped Jonathan Jones back inside. So they, they got better in two areas by drafting one player. And now it feels like they probably are only going to get better in one area. And the, the, the trickle down or the depth effect that we're talking about, it lends your, yourself to Jalen Mills playing more on the outside again, where, over the last couple of years, he's had his up and ups and downs playing true boundary corner, and it also lends yourself to Miles Bryant being back heavily in the rotation, which I think a lot of us had hoped that maybe they had evolved past Miles Bryant with the Joneses, with the young Joneses coming into right. the fold. So it's it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow from multiple directions. Obviously the the off-field and, and character direction is the biggest one. But from a football perspective, it does make an impact on the team. And it's going to be interesting to see how they go about handling 
some of these situations, I think, with that second outside corner spot because the two primary options that I think that they have are Jonathan Jones kicking back outside or Jalen Mills kicking back to corner, right? Like, those are the really their two primary in-house options that they have. Just – I don't know if you have a third one that, that I'm not – I guess maybe one of the younger guys like Speed or Bolden come out of nowhere. Well, I but. mean, I think – we're going to be watching those guys a little bit closer in camp. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that you can count on either of them just as rookies. Like, it's tough. But, you know, if if one of them starts really ha- – you know, starts making some plays in camp yeah. and getting into joint practice in the preseason, that's going to become a conversation. I think you – that's where that's where a guy like Terrence Mitchell comes into me. Yeah. Is you sign Terrence Mitchell and you're not going to pay him a lot of money. You have him – he's also like – those other guys, a guy like Roby, right? He has to learn the defense. Terrence Mitchell is at least starting from some sort of base. He was here last year. You have him, all right. If you need him, you have him. You have that emergency depth, but you go into camp and you say, if Amir Speed or Isaiah Bolden is going to show me something, then that's kind of the upside guy. That's That's the, all right, well, we have Terrence Mitchell if we need him. We're not counting on either of these rookies. We probably just drafted to be special teamers, but if one of them shows up, one of them shows up, and here we go, and now, now, now we're cooking. So I, that's where I'm at. With I, in minicamp, I I did think that Isaiah Bolden, uh, I don't know if he necessarily did anything that caught the eye in terms of in you know his actual coverage, but there were some times where he bumped up like to like the second team defense from like the opportunity or the third yeah. team defense. Um, Amir Speed was more stuck with the rookies and and kind of guys that are projected at the back end of the roster. Bolden got a, an occasional rep with some other regulars but not necessarily like the starting defense, right? You know, sort of that right. mi- that mix and match second unit. They also both had spent extensive time on special teams. It, some of the time if I remember correctly had some one-on-one with Matthew Slater even. Uh, you know, and that going through Speed his did definitely yeah, yeah. going through his uh, ritual. So uh, I think that there are uh, some some hope there that that maybe those two guys can contribute on special teams. We've known that uh, we'll see about defense. I think that is a long shot in general, just for their entire NFL careers, frankly. But certainly a long shot in year one as rookies. But uh, that that's if you had to pick between moving Jalen Mills back to outside corner full-time or moving Jonathan Jones back outside full-time, which one would you pick as of June 22nd? I'd probably move Jalen Mills back because he's closer to that. One, he's closer to – it's more his natural position than it is Jonathan Jones. Yeah. And I guess this is like 1A. It's not necessarily a different thing. They need size on the boundary. They yeah. need size. You saw it too many times last year where Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones – would stick to the receiver and really did all they could, but the receiver six five T Higgins and boom, here comes the jump ball yeah. and you can't teach height. Five eights, five eight, five tens, right. five ten up against six foot five. So Jalen Mills gives you more competitive uh matchup in that now Depending on the opponent, I might go the other way. Like, obviously, when you play the Dolphins, right. Tyreek Hill, well, we'll see what happens a, with Tyreek well, Hill. Yeah, but, but It's a totally different animal. When yeah. you play the Dolphins with Tyreek Hill, yeah, put Jonathan Jones on the outside because the right. Dolphins don't have any size. But I think they they really they need to be open to both. Yeah. But ideally, you're putting Jalen Mills out there as your CB2, and you're continuing to use 
Jonathan Jones is kind of that rover, star, slot corner, yeah. whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I'm with you because I I still think that Jonathan Jones is one of the better slot corners in the NFL when he's playing inside, and I also think from a communication standpoint, which is something that that we've talked about off the air with replacing Devin McCourty you can control the communication a little bit better from the middle of the field, right? And if he's more skewed towards the middle of the field and they want to give him controls of the of the back end a little bit like they did with Devin, kind of being that quarterback of the secondary, it's probably a little bit easier for him to make calls and see things and do things like that, uh, playing in the slot and playing more of that, that nickel role than it is having him play on the outside. But that's where the Patriots are at, I, I think, with this situation and – I still not not to go into the legal legal mumbo jumbo of it all and everything, but I still just can't see a scenario where it makes sense for the football team to put Jonathan or Jonathan Jack Jones out there while this is all going on. Like I, I just yeah. I can't really see that happening uh, even in training camp during practice, and we'll we'll see how it ends up playing out. But those are the sort of the options. I agree, I agree with you though that it's worth maybe bringing in another veteran corner. Terrence Mitchell's a good, a good example. Cause at least he's been, been here and has some experience in the system and uh, go from there because you can't, if you're, if you're starting to have to count on like the Sean Wades and the Isaiah Bolden's and the mere speeds uh, that that's going to get real dicey real fast. You're in a little bit of trouble. Yep. You're in a little bit of trouble. All right, let's go to uh, Deandre Hopkins and then we'll take some of these calls. Uh, so the latest on Deandre Hopkins, uh, Diana Russini, uh, he had a report. She, he, she had a report right. this morning that was a little bit, a little bit telling a little bit wishy-washy I thought, but mainly uh, she stuck with what everybody else is saying that he's going to take his time this could be a couple weeks this could be a month you know we don't know exactly but she indicated that the titans and the patriots remain the two most likely options and she also indicated that they have both offered deandre hopkins a contract that there's a contract on the table from both teams uh for deandre hopkins i have been of the school of thought and i don't know i don't know if you agree or not that the longer this plays out the worse it is for the patriots yes i think that more teams can get involved injuries can happen unfortunately as we have learned with the jack jones situation life can happen right where all of a sudden a team has an example uh, has a excuse me a hole at the wide receiver position and, and needs to make a move so the longer this drags out the worse it is for the Patriots but at the same time I think it is if you want to be optimistic as a Patriot fan that DeAndre Hopkins is still coming here it is a little bit optimistic that Rossini is reporting that it's still really just the Patriots and the Titans well, but so here's there the is problem. no dark horse but 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 that's the thing because once there's not a dark one once there's another team that team's not a dark horse right fair it it's the Patriots and Titans until it isn't yeah and I know that sounds simplistic and kind of dumb but isn't that what it is? Yeah. It's the Patriots and Titans until the Chiefs have a wide receiver go down in camp. Or, you know, the, the Eagles have a wide receiver go down in camp. Not wishing this on anybody, but I'm, this is what happens. S happens. Right? I, Stuff happens. Yeah, I just... So... is I get where people are... I get where the reports are coming from. That the reports are out there that he is prepared to wait. Like, maybe even into training camp. That he's in no rush to sign. Which he shouldn't be. It doesn't make any sense for him to rush at this point. I, but I just... 
I'm not a hundred percent believing that it, if he's planning on playing next year, which it certainly sounds like he is, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent believing that he's gonna drag this out into training camp. Like I, I, I think I, he's signed some. Like we just announced this morning that uh, July 26th, the opening day of the Patriots yeah. camp. I think he's signed by July 25th. I like, think he's I, signed by week one of the preseason. I could see him giving it a week, maybe two. So this brings up like another thing that's come up a lot with him. Yeah, doesn't like to practice. So how much of that is that he is opening up the door for more teams to get involved? And how much of that is that DeAndre Hopkins at 31 years old just doesn't want to go through the dog days of training camp? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I, I think it's ultimately a little bit of both. And by the way, I, him not liking practice and him being a detriment to the team are two different things. Yeah. People like, are acting yeah. like they're the same thing. Yeah. I don't like. You know, there's things you don't like to do for your job, but you do, right. even if you like your job like we do. So there are very few players, I got to be honest with you, that I've talked to over the years that like to practice. That, right, exactly. So <laughs> it's 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 the the grueling part of the job. DeAndre Hopkins can afford to miss a week of what's going to be mostly unpadded practices. Yeah, it's not a huge deal. You want yeah. him here for the joint practices. That's those are the big ones, as we always talk about. That's the most right. important time of the the preseason is the joint practices. Which is, again, I go August 1st or the first preseason game. Like, that's kind of where I look. Now, that's not to say he's definitely going to wait until then. Maybe he does sign sooner, but if he's still unsigned, it's like, you know, August 2nd, 3rd, I'm going to be like, all right, now we're probably getting close, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think he's a Patriot if that's the case. I agree with you. I think if this gets into camp, I think for two reasons. I, I think both sides move on at that point, honestly. I think well, what is moving on for the Patriots? Well, I, when I say sign Jarvis Landry, no, 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 I don't think they're going to move on to another addition. I think they move on with the group that they have. I, I think at that point, I still think that that Bill operates under sort of a like either you're on the bus or you're not. Yeah, I right? know, but it's just I. You'd hope there's it's the recognition diff- that they need this guy. I agree, but I think it's a little di- like a, an acquisition is different in terms of a trade, right? Like if a guy's on another team and you trade for him at the end of camp, like that's right. the, that's just the timing of the of the move or the deadline or something like that. But I think that they're going to look at it and say, "We'd love to have you, uh, but if you're not here by by, let's call it July 26th, we have Parker." We have Juju, we have Thornton, uh, we have Kendrick Bourne. We like our group. We don't love it, but we like our group, and we're just we're we're done. I, I we're just out. think that would be short sighted. I don't necessarily I disagree, with, disagree you. with you that they would do it, but I think they would be short. I think that would be short sighted because uh, it, from Hopkins's camp, it makes them more sense that if he waits that long, he's not coming here. He's going to go to Kansas City, or he's going right. to go to you know some contender, right? That that gets not necessarily. I think he if he's if you're like wading through like the Titans and the Patriots, for example, yeah. like I, I still, I, and even like, you know, curmudgeons like Paul, like I, I st- he says that he, it, to him, it's a toss up. I, I still can't really understand the argument for the Titans. I can't, I can't see it. They're not going to be a good football team. No salary, uh, no uh, income tax. Okay. But like, I'm talking about the football. I don't think he's considering the football side of things. I think he's got to consider it at least a little bit, maybe a little bit, but I think, Maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe Tennessee, with the lack of income tax, is offering him slightly more money. I guess. But, but the it, Patriots are the better football situation because they are. They are the better team. They're And the Patriots are not 
the better team. Better team. Better, in every case, I'm team, not saying the Patriots are some better great quarterback. Team. Yeah, they're just the better situation from a football standpoint all around. They're going to be a more competitive, more likely playoff-bound football team. Right, but I, if he just wants the money and the Titans are offering more money, this is where it's— I suppose. It's do you want to go through a dog you know, a dog days of a season in Tennessee and get paid more, or do you take a little less and I just, maybe you play in a couple big games? I, that's I think for probably him, what it's down to for him. I don't know. I just I, I can't imagine. like that's, That is a type of guy, and we saw this in last year with Arizona. He will let go of the rope. So in Tennessee, he's literally taking a check does and running he care? with it. Right, but does he care? Maybe that's all he wants to do. I guess I don't know. I would. I, I, I would think higher of him than that. I guess. I but I, like I do too. But I also wouldn't blame him. This is his last chance to get paid. Right, but he's not going to get paid. Paid. We're talking about he. From all of the indications that we have, if that Odell Beckham contract was out there for him, the one for fifteen with incentives to push it to thir- eighteen, I think is what Odell got. Yeah. I think he'd already be signed. I don't think he's getting that offer. And that, I think, is, is what's holding this up, is that he, his market is soft, and I think that he sees the only leverage that he's going to get is if somebody gets hurt. No, I see, I, I still think he's just waiting on leverage, whatever the situation is. Why, uh, let me put it this way. Why should he sign now? If he knows that, that let's say the one-year $15 million is out there, he knows it's still going to be out there in two weeks. In three weeks. Oh no, the, he's he should not he shouldn't be in any rush, and I really don't think that the Patriots need to be in any rush either because they the, the, well, everybody's off on summer break. No, right? but Mike Gesicki's jumping off no, boats but, in Italy. Like he, no one's here. No, but the, the rush for the Patriots is as long as he remains unsigned, there's still time for other teams to get involved sure. or the Titans to up their offer. Frankly, yeah. yeah. And, the Patriots should right. be able to outbid the Titans Fair because point. of the salary cap. But I said this on the show last week, Evan. I, I wrote on 98 Father Sports, I have nine things to do. Well, DeAndre Hopkins, well, you're waiting for DeAndre Hopkins to sign. Did you have watch submarine footage on I, there? I did not have that because it hadn't happened yet. It well, would have been on there. You should really add that back I on should, there. Maybe I should. Well, well I, I, I said know, on kinda, Twitter. It's like, kind of over now, apparently. So. Well, they have press conference in like half an hour. Are so they calling we'll off the search? No, they found something. They didn't find they found They, they found, found like a, a shipwreck that could be anything. So that's the thing. They said they found debris <laughs> right. around the Titanic, but it's like, yeah, it's the wreck of the Titanic. <laughs> of course there's debris. So I'm very curious. But like, this it's is also, the stupidest story ever. I, I, I feel like you wouldn't say that if it was like that whole area has been mapped so much in the last like whatever no, it is, 40 just, years. No. Anyway, the no. point being. What's more likely I, they find the submarine or DeAndre Hopkins signs <laughs> with the Patriots? I did not have. I, I did not have track the submarine. What I did have was track private flights out of Houston because all it takes is one phone call and suddenly he's off. I, again, I said this on the show last week, Evan. I do not understand how the Jacksonville Jaguars are not blowing up his phone right yeah. now. And there's a handful of other teams that it would make sense for as well that have some cap. Another one I thought of is Seattle. I didn't know that he'd go to Seattle, but like Seattle, right? Well, so. they did. I mean, they just drafted JSN. They have Lockett. They have DK. Like they're They're pretty loaded. They've been trying to trade Lockett, though. That's kind of been the rumor. Yeah. So you, you sign Hopkins for you nothing. Sign the you sign the 31-year-old Hopkins to trade a 31-year-old Lockett? Well, if they're going to make the same money and you can trade Lockett and get a draft pick. I guess. You're better. Like, Hopkins is better, so you, you have a better. I guess. Maybe a, a, a anyway. little bit. The point being. The point yeah, being. I like Lockett. Good I do, too, but Hopkins is probably better. Maybe a little bit. I mean, come on. DK, JSN, Hopkins. I, I think that Lockett might be better for what to pair with DK, though. Like, I Regardless, anyway, just, yeah, not unrelated. All it takes is one team, one team to call them and yeah. say, "Hey, we want into the DeAndre Hopkins business." You know, what's what's the price? What what's the right. number you got from the Patriots? We'll match it. We'll top it. 
And that the only way the Patriots can stop that is sign him. Yeah. Because once you sign him, that's tampering. That was a joke. <laughs> I know. But, but once you sign him, that's the only way to stop so, other so teams then I, from calling I, I guess I hear that, and I, I, I agree with you. So then I guess my, my next question to this is, like, if you're the Patriots, I understand that you don't want to bid against yourselves, and, and there's a degree of you don't want to overpay for the player. And I and I can ag- agree to that or to an extent. And we don't know what the terms are that the Patriots discuss with DeAndre. Maybe the Patriots are giving him fair, fair or even beyond fair terms in terms of the contract, and he's just dragging his feet anyways. But if I'm the Patriots, I just got to show some urgency here. I, I got to. Like there has to be a number. And I'm not talking about giving him $25 million, but there has to be a number that gets DeAndre Hopkins to just sign and not wait. That's what out. I've been saying. In, 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 at what point find do the just go to that number? Yeah, find that number. All right, we're going to take some of these calls, then we're going to talk uh, some AFC East previews. We decided uh, in this dead period we'll go around the AFC East. I like this exercise. It's good to you know study up on the other teams because we are going to talk a ton about all these teams once we get into the season and into the matchups uh, for the Patriots. So today we're going to going to start uh, with those pesky Dolphins down in Miami. So we'll get to that here in a second. Dolphins are are not friendly animals, Alex. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. They're nasty. Are you wait? Well, I mean, they're not great, but are you sure you're not thinking of whales? No, dolphins are bad. Man. Well, there's that story about the killer whales attacking the boats. Yeah, but dolphins are bad. Dolphins can be kind of nasty. Well, they're really smart. I don't so want to know like, how to lie. I don't want to get into some of the weird stuff that dolphins do. Anyways, uh, let, let's let's talk to uh, Willem and Phil. Oh no, we lost him. Oh, he was probably calling in to pee. I think he called in earlier. That's all right. Uh, what's up, Patty? How you doing? What's up, gentlemen? Good. Hey. So, over the past couple of weeks, I think you guys know where I, where I stood on DeAndre Hopkins, but the, the more the time's gone by, I've thought about it, and for if nothing else, I think like the fact that he's, he's probably still really good. He could probably still really ha- like have the, the defense, you know, have their coverage focused on him, and we'll probably open up stuff uh, a lot better for guys like Iquan if he's healthy. Obviously, Juju, if he's healthy, and Mike Gusecki and everybody else. Um, so the more I'm thinking about it, the more I, I would like to see him on this team just because, like, Devontae Parker doesn't do that for you. You know what I mean? And I love Parker. Like, I loved him when he was in Miami, and I wanted him here, but he's, he's just not the same player as DeAndre. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're with you, Patty. Thanks for the call. I, that's the biggest thing for this Patriots team, and, and we talk a lot about – even just like Bill O'Brien's offense during minicamp and OTAs, you could see that the attention was back to trying to win in the middle of the field, trying to win with efficient passing, and not necessarily the, you know, I used to call it the Bruce Arians offense that they were trying to run last year, which was peaks and valleys. You know, you do have some downfield completions, but you also have a lot of turnovers and a lot of three and outs and things like that. In in camp, I or in the spring, I, I I think we agree with this on this, Alex, that it seemed like they were trying to get back to that middle of the field, death by a thousand paper cuts, efficient Patriots offense, which should suit the quarterback and should suit the personnel. But in order to get the middle of the field open and and to have it be less crowded, I don't know any better way uh, than to have somebody on the outside like DeAndre Hopkins that can draw some of that attention and some of that coverage. And I've all, that's always been my biggest thing. I think uh, the actual, individual production of DeAndre Hopkins 
I'm not sure I'm as caught up in, oh, is he going to go for 1,000 yards? Is he going to have 10 touchdowns? Like, I don't know what his his statistical ceiling is with the Patriots, but I do know that the sort of like we were talking about it with the secondary and with Jack Jones, the domino effect that he's going to have on the rest of the offense to open things up for everybody else. It just kind of puts everybody together. It puts all the pieces in the right Right. spots and it, and it makes things easier for everybody else. He tweeted that out, right? That he's, that is, uh, his next team will like it'll be easier to I was, play. He, I was gonna say he said I pr- my promise to my future receiver room I'm gonna make all your jobs easier. It, exactly, that's the whole point. You're yeah. guaranteeing all those guys one on ones, and the Patriots have a bunch of number twos that can win one on ones regularly enough to be effective. But you got to get Hopkins in the building to make that happen. Yeah. I, what are your thoughts on on Devonte Parker? Because I still think that there's I still think Devonte Parker is an NFL receiver when I say an NFL receiver I mean like a guy that can play uh, top three snaps right most teams have three guys that they play a lot and I I still think Devontae Parker is a top three guy and probably would get traded Uh, maybe it's Kendrick Bourne but one of those guys probably gets moved so that they can go be a top three guy someplace else if Hopkins comes here but there are moments and even last year when with all the mess that was going on where you do look at it and say, you know, Devontae Parker, probably their best one-on-one outside receiver, right? And, you know, just versus a press corner, me versus you, like who's the one guy that can kind of get up the field, get open, and make a play on the football? Uh, he was probably the best at that last year and probably is still the best that they have on the team this year. And we've talked so much about Kendrick Bourne and the fallout from that. We also had uh, Michael Lombardi, which I thought was interesting, talking about how Hopkins might be better suited now to play more inside than outside just because his speed is diminishing. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that, but there, I don't know if it's as cut and dry to to – maybe reading a little bit too much into Lombardi, but you know, sometimes he does talk to Bill and, and maybe he yeah. does have, you know, have some insight into how the Patriots might view him and, and used Hopkins more. I, I still am not a hundred percent certain which direction they would go in, in terms of their receiver depth. Like if it would be Parker, or if it would be born. I, I still think it's Parker. I, I they're, they're going to play Hopkins outside. Like I get that you move him inside, but so then it's Juju on the boundary with, Taekwon at the X or like yeah it's probably Taekwon at the X I think Juju or Hopkins is like technically your your Z yeah I right just think and the, then one of them is at the, the pure slot the whole the whole point of this is you're trying to take pressure off Taekwon needing to have that breakout season and I think yeah. if you're going to play Hopkins in the slot full time you don't really do that at least not as much so I still think Parker's the odd man out. Hopkins is still your ex. I, I think they'd probably use a bunch of condensed formations, honestly, yeah. which they should do anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, I you know, in, to your first question, what do I think of Parker? I still like Parker. I think he's a good receiver. But this whole thing we're talking about, well, I just saw myself on YouTube. I'm, like, bright. Um, I didn't, and somebody, I did not wear Grizzlies colors for Marcus Smart. That was an accident. We'll get um, to that later. We will get to that later. I... The the whole thing with Parker in this whole thing we're talking about of, well, can they get a receiver who's going to take pressure off the other guys? Last year, teams kind of started tight on Jacoby, and Jacoby was the guy that was getting all the attention, and Parker had some big games. He yeah. did. He had that massive, yeah, the, that massive game against the Ravens. He was excellent yeah. in that game. Yeah. So then what did teams do? They started shading to Parker instead of yeah. – 
Jacoby Myers, and it didn't like it changed things schematically, but the offense didn't become any more uh, impactful. Yeah. So you know, with Hop- Hopkins isn't the guy that you can do that with. It, just because somebody else is playing well, you're not going to start taking coverage off of DeAndre Hopkins because if you do, he's going to beat you bad if you leave him one-on-one. You right. cannot leave that guy one-on-one. That's ultimately the difference. That's what they really need. And I, the evidence is there last year that Parker is maybe close to being that guy, but he's not that guy. I just, I'm preparing myself mentally for the fact that they, based off of last year, and I guess this is just last year, and, and maybe it's all thrown out with Bill O'Brien in the building, and it's his show now, and, and he makes different decisions. But based off of the, the calendar year that we've had, with, they seem to really like Devontae Parker, just in terms of what he brings to the table football-wise. Yeah. And Kendrick Bourne just isn't their type of guy in terms of what he doesn't, you know, off the field and in, in, in the media and things like that, right? And I just, I'm really mentally preparing, but also hoping that they don't allow that to impact the decision. Whereas Parker... Parker's really gone about his business here for the yeah. most part. He's a quieter guy to begin with, but he's just kind of played his role, gone about his business, uh, been mostly available. Like, I, I don't think he was available for every game last year, but mostly available and doesn't doesn't really do any of the diva stuff that, that Kendrick Bourne sometimes is uh, Let's to. not get into that. You, you use that word, and you're getting all these people hot and bothered. I'm now just saying that I'm preparing First myself off, for that being the case. I can't watch Kendrick Bourne and Marcus Smart both leave within months of each other. That's going to be too much for me. Second of all, the other important thing to consider here is, and, and they're going to consider this, this might be the ultimate trump card. They save about $2 million more million against the cap if they move on yeah. from, from Parker than I Bourne, think par- which I think is ultimately what it comes down to. I don't think that he has – I'm not saying you're going to get like a first-round pick for Devontae Parker, but I think that both those guys might have a little bit of trade value. I think Parker, you can get back what you gave up for him. Yeah, or may, you know, I always like those trades where another guy has fallen out of the rotation someplace else, and they're – they're probably going to cut him. Right. Maybe they trade him for a corner. But Right. So you trade him for a corner. You trade him for a tackle. I don't know if a tackle is going to be playable, honestly, just with the tackle depth around the league. But if a tackle comes available, if a corner comes available, like I always like those types of moves. I think they benefit both both sides. I really do. Like I always go back with this to uh, Jacoby Brissett. Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett, yeah. Right. Like that move at the time helped the Patriots. You know, Philip Dorsett was a helpful piece for you in 2018. That was 18, right? Or is that 17? No, it was 18. I think it was 18. Well, no, it was 17 because Brissett was only here for a year. So Brady was suspended in 16. All I know is that Philip Dorsett in 18 made some big catches in the Oh, maybe it was 18. I think it was 18. Was here for two years? I think it was 18. Well, he was here for a year plus, right? Like, he was. I think he was only here for... Well, he's, he's no, it was game. 17. It was 17. So was they 17. traded Jacoby okay. Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo the same season. Yes, they did. Forgot about that. Yeah, so I, I still I like those moves. Well, I think they tried that, and maybe it still works out with like Chase Winovich and Mac Wilson. Different time yeah. of year, but but similar yeah. type of thing. All right, uh, William's back. What's up, William? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, how you doing, Evan? How good, you doing? Good. Uh, what's up, Alex? Hey. Um, hey. Uh, two, just two questions. I'm not going to hold you up anything. One, um, well, not so much a question. The, the second, the second one is a question, but the first one is, um, what, what is going on? Like, so what Bill's just waiting for, what you wait for some deal. You wait for Hopkins to cave in and just say, you know, just, you know, 
take whatever you what's on the table. I don't even know. You know, do y'all know what he's offering? Hopkins, you know what I mean? That may, you know, I don't know. I I don't know exactly what he's offering, William, but. I- based off of the reports and some of the indications that we have is that uh, the, the deal that Hopkins is, is hoping to get at least right now is something similar to what the Ravens gave Odell Beckham, which is that one for 15 plus incentives to get up to like 18, 19 million. And, and so far based off the reporting, that deal has not been out there for Hopkins, even from the Patriots or the Titans. Okay. Uh, Alex, my question to you is I, I get it. Okay. Um, I guess you say you don't know why Jacksonville is not jumping at this. I understand that, but I would. I mean, because I'm a Patriots fan, Don fan. I just want to see Hopkins or Dalvin Cook, whoever. I mean, they have the Patriots have holes in. We going in with this. I don't. It's not looking good for us. It's just really not. This offseason has been horrible for us. It just don't look good, Alex. So I'll leave it at that, fellas. Take care, okay? Thanks, William. Appreciate it. I. I want to get to Dalvin Cook in a second. I, I, do I don't, want to get to Dalvin I, Cook I don't think well. we're we're I, on the record here on the podcast on our feelings on Dalvin I don't think Cook. I've talked about him on any show. So we'll get to that in a second. I, I'm with William to this is just not how they operate. The, I, the Patriots are just not going to come in and offer Hopkins, you know, back up the Brinks truck, so to speak, and give him what he wants to to get him off the market. They're they're going to play the they're going to they're going to play the game. They're going to roll the dice. That that. Do you disagree? Like, I feel like that's just what they've always done. The only time that I can think of off the top of my head where they really went out and just gave a guy top of market money and said nothing of, you know, no fooling around was Stephon Gilmore. Like Stephon Gilmore was day one of free agency, opening morning of free agency. Like, here's the bag. Let's do it, right? I, I guess in 21, they did that to for a couple guys too, but it's a totally different situation, I think, based off uh, of what we're going off of now. But I don't know if they're necessarily going to do it. Uh, Dalvin Cook, where do you stand on Dalvin Cook? Because I, I, he's a name. He's a popular name. He's a free agency, uh, a fantasy football running yeah. back. Uh, he's a free agent. There are some interests. There's some rumors that some other AFC East teams are going to be kicking the tires. The Jets and the Dolphins have been in touch or have had conversations with Dalvin Cook. My whole thing is, uh, you know how I feel about running backs. Yep. You know how I feel about paying running backs. Yep. Bad business. On top of that, I don't see how Ramondre and Dalvin Cook really complement each other. And therefore, it's tough to envision them playing together or that being like some sort of dynamic right. duo like what is what is getting Dalvin Cook do right and and like the caller said we need stars okay but this isn't a position like receiver where you're putting everybody on the field right so honestly who's better at this point Ramondre or Dalvin Cook it's pretty close it's close it's close but you're not they're not going to put both of them on the field at that yeah. point in an offense that already seems to be designed to be very too tight end heavy, you're redesigning the entire offense, which you don't do at this time of year. That to me is so, Dalvin Cook. Is, we always talk about this like it's like playing Madden, right? Like you're right. just collecting talent. No, but at even that in point. that, even in Madden, 
If I had Ramondre Stevenson, I wouldn't sign Dalvin Cook because only one of them can play at a time. Yeah, like, and, yeah, like it's, the better comparison is when we were talking when we were in the height of draft season yeah. and Jameer Gibbs name right. came up. You can see how Jameer Gibbs and Ramondre Stevenson could be this thunder and lightning and play off of each other and Gibbs could play yeah. some receiver and that would allow you to run some uh, what would be considered two running back, but it's kind of different. It's this sort of middle thing, different sort of animal. Dalvin Cook and Ramondre Stevenson are like the same type right. of back. So it, it and people will people hear you say that and say, well, you know, they need a less than Ramondre Stevenson's workload, so that's perfect. You know, you, when he has to come off the field, you have another guy that's talented, and that's all well and good. And look, if Dalvin Cook's going to come for a million dollars, two million dollars, right. fine. I, he's a good football player. If you can add, I'll never say no to adding a good football player yeah. to the team, right? But. Are you going to pay Dalvin Cook five? That, the role that we're talking about is what fifteen snaps a game. It's if it's that, more, it's more like carries, right? Like it's more like eight to ten carries. Eight a game. to ten carries a game. Yeah. Are you going to pay five six million dollars for you know no. that? Because keep in mind, if you do that, there goes the Hopkins money. Right. You're not getting both no, these guys. Move All the talk about them joining the same team is for social media likes. It's yeah. not happening because they both want to get paid yeah. and neither, no team, the teams that have that kind of money to spend are trying to get Caleb Williams. They're not yeah. interested in bringing either guy in. Yeah. So that's not going to happen at that point. Yeah. I'll take the drop off to Ty Montgomery. I'll take the drop off to, to Kevin Harris. I'll take the drop off to Pierre strong. Dalvin cook doesn't adding Dalvin cook does not make them a better football team. He's a good player. He's better than some of the players they have, but it, they would not be a better football team by adding him for what he's ultimately going to want. Again, if you want to sign for $2 million, I, I don't care. Sign him for if $2 million. If this was 20 years ago when LaDainian Tomlinson and Priest Holmes and Sean Alexander were to right. rock 300 times a year, and you said, oh, like let's give 150 to Dalvin Cook and 150 to Ramondre Stevenson, and we're going to be right. this. the old Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams right. kind of offense. Right, and then, then maybe, 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 maybe. But that's just not the type of football that you play anymore, and it's just not the way that the league is trending. And I, I just I don't see it being really – Beneficial, if, like I don't think that that makes you a, this high powered offense. It doesn't because it, it's the way the position works, it, and neither of them can really play receiver. Yeah, and even if they did, you'd have to rewrite the offense. Yeah, which I mean, again, you don't do Ramondre right now. is maybe a little bit better of like a natural. Dalvin Cook's a really good screen back, ne- but neither of them are but, receivers. No, neither one of them. So are true. Natural if they players. were going to take five million dollars and give it to Dalvin Cook, I would say take that five million dollars, put it on top of what you were going to give DeAndre Hopkins and see if you can get him to sign right now. That would be a much better... Yeah. Am I wrong? That would be no. a much better use of that money than trying to sign Dalvin Cook. Yeah, uh, last thing on uh, on Dalvin Cook. So the two teams that have shown a little bit of interest in him, the, the Jets and the Dolphins, is what the reports are now are, are kicking the tires. They're both in the Shanahan tree. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is, is running the offense now with the Jets under Robert Sala, who obviously was the defensive coordinator for Kyle Shanahan out in San Francisco. And Nathaniel Hackett comes from Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, right? So there, there's a lot of yeah. connections to that West Coast outside zone system. And then in Miami, obviously they have McDaniel running uh, Kyle Shanahan's offense, essentially. So Dalvin Cook uh, in Minnesota uh, mo- played most of his career uh, under Norv Turner and then in the Norv Turner outside zone system. My, what I'm getting at is is that Dalvin Cook is a zone back. 
He is a zone running back. He is a one-cut-and-go type of running back. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have overlap there and, like, it's not football's football uh, to an extent, but he doesn't naturally fit into a gap scheme team. And if you want the Patriots to get back to pull the guard, get downhill, uh, pull guys off the ball, run that manpower gap, whatever you want to call it, type of offense, and not be the outside zone mess that we saw last year, that is not what Dalvin Cook does best. Right. So he's going to go from this uh, Kevin O'Connell, Norv Turner system and and kind of lineage uh, probably to like the Shanahan tree. And that's going to be a pretty good transition for him. Uh, him coming here, it would be significantly different than the things that he did in Minnesota, just from a, a schematic standpoint. So I don't think that that's the end-all, be-all, especially with running backs because it's you get the ball and run. Like It's not, it's not really uh, that much of a, of a change, but I, I think it is worth mentioning that based off the teams that are showing interest in him, based off of his history in Minnesota, it seems like the league views him as like a zone back. And, right. and you know, there are not, not going to be a lot of teams that are going to be looking for him to, to be a downhill runner. So we'll see. I, I, I think that that one has like a 0% chance of happening. I, 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 always, I never say zero, so let's say 1% chance of happening. Uh, but uh, I, I, don't want, I don't want people to get infatuated with the names. We, we, we kind of threw out some other running backs – I guess they are kind of names too, like Zeke Elliott's a little bit of a name. Uh, Leonard Fournette certainly has a. a uh, I gave a you career. Reggie Corbin. You rolled your eyes yeah, at that. Yeah, no, come on, stop it. Let's get some real a real NFL player in here. I st- you want my list? Yeah, I want your list because I I still come back to this. I I, I still think the more that I I dwell on it and the more that I think about their running back situation, I, I think that they need another guy. So the this these aren't necessarily the guys I would sign. These are the guys that. Well, it's Dalvin Cook, and then just the guys you could make a case for. I okay. wouldn't necessarily sign all of them, but the guys okay. you make a case for. Leonard Fournette. Yep. I know you like Ezekiel yes. Elliott. I like yep. Mark Ingram. A little old, right? He's like 33. I don't really care. Okay. Bowling ball. Okay. Bowling ball. He could be a one-for-one replacement for Damian Harris. Okay. I don't doubt that. I don't hate I, – I love Mark Ingram yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of his career, but he's just I also just think there. getting a veteran like that in the locker room yeah. would be good. Uh, Rex Burkhead. Is technically oh, free agent. Uh, yeah, he's had a lot of injuries. Like, uh, okay, he is only thirty-two. I just, I, yeah. I wouldn't do it like you said because of the injuries. But I could totally see them bringing Rex Burkett yeah. back for a second stint. That's something they would do. Kenyon Drake, who by the way is only twenty-nine. I like Kenyon Drake. He has a little bit more versatility, I think, yeah. than some of these other guys. Okay, plays special teams. Yep. Marlon Mack. What happened to Marlon Mack? Tours Achilles. Like three years ago, and he just hasn't nope. been the same player. We since. did that once already. No, thank you. Well, that's the th- but that's why he's on this list. If they thought James Robinson, if the idea was like, here's yeah. a guy who tore his Achilles a couple years ago, let's see if he's over it. Marlon Mack would essentially be the same line of thinking well, as James just Robinson, repeating the Although, same mistake. Well, his was actually further back. His torn Achilles okay. was further back. So, and when he was in his prime, I mean, he was he's a good player. Legit. Yeah, Benny Snell, bowling ball. Yeah, yeah, that's my list. Okay, so I still and, and Reggie Corbin. If you can get Zeke on, on a discount, then I would Zeke's the best player out of that group besides Dalvin Cook, obviously. I, I still lean like Leonard Fournette might be the best bet all all around uh, for them, just price yeah. need, that type of thing. And they've shown interest in the player in the past. So that you know, that that's something that also stands out to me with Fournette. I just look at their running back depth chart. 
you have Ramondre at the top. Then you really have three, and um, you have five guys under contract, including J.J. Taylor, but J.J. Taylor is a practice squad guy. You know, he's a practice squad guy uh, in case of emergency back. I just don't look at him and see a guy that's ever going to really be a, a, a rotational piece in an NFL backfield, to be honest. Yeah. Kevin Harris, Pierre Strong, Ty Montgomery. That's a ton of uncertainty. Now, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit with running backs because I'm usually at the school of thought that they're a dime a dozen. They're all replaceable for the most part. So there shouldn't be a big difference between Kevin Harris and Leonard Fournette, right? Like you just, even though Kevin Harris has not carried the football, I think he has like 18 career carries from last year or something like that. Uh, there still shouldn't be a big difference, but I don't know what we have yet in the second year running backs. You don't know what you have yet in the second year running backs. And Ty Montgomery really hasn't been productive in the NFL for like four years. And he's looked great in the spring. He looked great in the summer last year. Like he's looked like he's been pushing for a role for two straight uh, spring and summers now. But the last time that Ty Montgomery had like a useful NFL season was like 2018 with the Packers. So So I I agree with you on – There's so much uncertainty with that spot. I agree with you on Montgomery – I, what I will say about the the two guys they drafted, right? The two younger guys, Strong and Harris. You got to give them a shot. I you agree. Just, you can't draft guys, and they did this for a few years, and it's part of the reason I think they're in the spot where where they are now. Maybe Juwan Williams was always destined to be a bust, but the fact he never really got any true NFL snaps until his third year. There's a reason he looked like a rookie as a third year yeah. player because he didn't have any experience. Yeah, he was experiencing it like a rookie. It, it it hampers players' developments. Now, a red shirt for certain guys who are developmental players, that's one thing. And I think to an extent, Pierre Strong was that. Kevin Harris, there might have been some concerns about his back. Yeah. But you got to play these guys. You've yeah. got to play these guys to figure out if they're the real deal or not. Otherwise, you're just flushing those picks. So I think they're in a spot where they can kind of afford to do that. Let them play, see what happens. I, I It's risky. It's risky because you, you don't want to, first of all, Worst case, absolute worst case scenario, Ramondre goes down with an injury and you're only left with these three guys, right? Right. Best case scenario, they are, are they able to truly step up and spell Ramondre to the point where he's not worn down by the end of the year like last year? It's risky, but I, I agree with you for the most part that they should just let it roll. But at the end of the day, they only have five backs on the roster and they like to carry four. So, or three. When we start talking about right, but usually they carry four out of camp. How many did they carry last year? I think they carried four, but then they, you know injuries oh, happened. And that time Montgomery got hurt. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they like to carry four out of camp. I don't think JJ Taylor is a real roster consideration at this point. So you kind of have like four guys that are just going through it right now, right? See, like they, they're going to just be on the team. It just you're an injury away from having a problem there. And at, at, at this point, isn't it better to just get the guy in for trading camp and get him up to speed than to try to sign Leonard Fournette in and, like but, week three? But then, no, no. So you're burning a spot on a running back that's not going to play at that point. I guess I'm... I, and I was literally going to say to you, what are the chances that Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott are all unsigned Heading into the regular season, I think there's a chance that at least a couple of those guys yeah, are available. I think, da- I think Dalvin and uh, will sign, but at this point, Zeke and Fournette haven't signed, so th- those two guys 
are what Hopkins is hoping is going to happen at re- somebody's going to get right. hurt. So okay, no, it's a little difference. Hopkins is not waiting until the regular season. No, those two guys I could see missing the entire preseason. Fournette and Elliott, because at the end of the day, they don't want to take the beating. Right. They don't want to take any beating. They don't have to. They might wait a couple weeks to sign. If I'm the Patriots, I'm fine with that. Um, they they can pick up that part of the offense. You're not going to ask them to pass block. You're not going to ask them to do anything that overly complicated. You're just going to ask them to eat up some carries. Yeah. I'd rather go in with the four. As kind of weird as this sounds, because I know he's the worst player of the group, the guy I'd upgrade is J.J. Taylor. Can yeah. you get a better guy that you're going to... Because Taylor's role right now is you're going to put him on the practice squad, and if injuries pile up, you're going to elevate him, and he's been in the offense. Yeah. Can you find a better player for that role? That could be Benny Snell. That could be Marlon Mack. That could be Kenyon Drake. That could be Reggie Corbin. That is the role, I think, that makes the most sense for them to upgrade right now. Just get a better player than J.J. Taylor to stick on the practice squad. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I just – I'm not as worried. i got to be honest. I'm not as worried about the two the two second-year guys. Like, I think Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong – That we have seen this movie before where guys that don't play as rookies or uh, are rookies, like – you know, uh, Pacheco last year at the Chiefs, right? Like, they, just give him a chance, and those guys can produce. Ty Montgomery, I, I don't, I don't want to go to like. I remember last summer, I I took the cheese on Ty Montgomery, and he got hurt, right? And, and that's yeah. not necessarily a bad evaluation on anybody's part. We all were kind of like, oh, this guy's going to be a, a contributor this year, uh, but you look back at his stats, and it is really true that he has not. He has not contributed to an NFL offense in a in a major way in quite some time at this point, and you're you're putting a ton of eggs in his basket right now as being that third down back. All right, we're gonna get to one more call here, and then uh, we'll talk some Miami Dolphins. Uh, Sean in Vancouver, what's up, Sean? Hey, you know, earlier on PU, someone sent in a question uh, about which former Patriot who never played for, under uh, Belichick one player you'd take in that category to add to this team. And, you know, Andre Tipp is my favorite player of all time. Uh, Evan, I love your pick of Stanley Morgan. Uh, Haynes, amazing cornerback, uh, maybe one of the best. And the one guy I would take, and I, I would think like 40 other Patriots I like better than this player, but because of the team that we have, because of the needs, I'd go with Brian Holloway. I, and I know he'd be undersized today, and I know – a lot of his success had to do with being next to John Hanna, but they need a tackle. I mean, I, I'm, that's my biggest concern. Wait, so you go with Brian Holloway over Bruce Armstrong if we're going to go tackle? Bruce Armstrong played in 2000. You can't count him. He played in 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was on the this team. This is last year. Because oh my gosh, jeez. Do you How not know? Did he play for? So the chain of long, there. Um. The chain of most games ever played by a Patriot is continuous. So, um, hang on. I'm trying to find the exact list. Um, okay. So, ready for this? Yes. So, uh-huh. the most games played by a Patriot who was on the initial team was uh, uh, um, Gino Capaletti. Gino okay. Capaletti right. played until 1969 when he was teammates with, I believe it's, I might be missing a wrong here, but basically he was teammates with John Hanna. John Hanna's rookie year. The year John Hanna retired, Bruce Armstrong was a rookie. He then broke Hanna's record for the most games played as a Patriot. And then in Hanna's final year, when he broke the record, Brady was a rookie. So the next person, in theory, to play the most games ever as a Patriot who will break Brady 
was a rookie in 2019, but nobody from the 2019 draft class wow. is left on the team. So, the so I, I am just realizing that last part now as I said it. So I'm not hallucinating that Bruce Armstrong and John Hanna played together, right? For a period of time. So Bruce Armstrong had... I think, did he? Maybe. I, I got to find this. I think I missed a link Maybe in that. But I'm I'm gonna look it up real quick, Evan. Stop so, so I so I just looked it up, and uh, and you're right that that Armstrong was on the 2000 Patriots, so he played for 13. That seasons. I knew. I did not realize that he that he played. Uh, he went from 87 to 2000. I don't think uh, he played a ton in 2000. I think he missed. Him. Oh no, he started all 16 games. Yeah. So that 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 was uh I was I did not yeah, realize. Yeah, take him was... if he could, but that doesn't go by the parameters. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh. So yeah, I guess you know you have to get to another tackle. Uh, okay, here's what, it, and here's what I messed up. It was not, uh, I, it's not John Hanna, who's the middle link in that chain. It's Julius Adams. Julius Adams. Oh, That's another good one. Yeah. So, G, uh, Gino, a couple guys had played the most games from 60 to, to 70. There were a couple guys around all those teams. And then Julius Adams. And then Julius Adams retired after the 1987 season. In 1987, Bruce Armstrong was a rookie. He played until 2000. Who was a rookie in 2000? A, Tom Brady. Such a and now, because thing. I thought, so honestly, I'm looking at that, and Brady left, and I'm like, Jake Bailey's going to play like 400 games for the Patriots now and shatter that record. It was all lined up for it to be Jake Bailey, and then it wasn't. I just, there has to, who, who was the, the tackle you mentioned again, Sean? I, I forget. Brian Holloway. Brian Holloway. There's not a better tackle in Patriots history. He, he was good. He was really good. But again, it, it's, it's, a lot of it, you got to count. He's right next to John Hanna, who's the best guard of all time. And right. now he'd be too too short. Like he was yeah. not too short. I mean, too too light, too small. Like so John Hanna, unfortunately. Five, six, all right. Yeah, well, okay. You know, I like your line of thinking, though, Sean. And uh, thanks for the call. We always the, appreciate it. The, okay. The point is, like, that's my concern is tackle. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I I I thought about tackle, and I think originally I realized that Bruce Armstrong wouldn't qualify, and then for some reason I Wait, had a brain fart. Say this against me. What was the what, what was the prompt again? It was what non Belichick era Patriot yeah. would you put want to put most on this team right now? So like Tippett, Haynes, Stanley Morgan, like you know, you got it. Oh, John Stanley Hanna. Morgan. I said Stanley Morgan. Stanley, uh, yeah, honestly, I love Stanley Morgan. I love him way more than Holloway. It's just, I just, I'm just so concerned about tackle. That's no, you, they need a tackle. Like I see where you're going for that. I'm just kind of like, who would be the most fun? You know who I just want to see right, in the I'll modern look. NFL? I don't, I don't think this Patriots team needs him, but he'd be sick to watch Thanks, in today's Sean. game. Who? Uh, ben Coates. So Ben Coates played, did not play. I just looked this up. He didn't. Right. His last he, year was 99. And then in 2000, he was on Baltimore because right. he won a ring with them. So, so we we got to Ben Coates eventually. So Ben Coates right. is in the running, dude. Bill O'Brien with Ben Coates, like, come on, yeah. Now. yeah. And Ben Coates is one of those guys. You hate. I know you hate the whole. Oh well, you know he couldn't play with guys now because they were smaller and slower and less yeah. athletic back then. Well, that's what Sean just said about Holloway. I I, I get that. You can't say that about Ben Coates. Ben Coates was six no. five two fifty. No, no, Ben Coates was. Ben, ben Coates was modern NFL tight end. He was tight Gronk end. before Gronk. He New really England. was. Yeah. So here's a here's a. I know you want to get to the Dolphins, but no, here's okay. a question I've had in the past. Yeah. Do the Patriots have the greatest tight end history in the NFL? They have Gronk. Russ they have Francis. Coates. Russ Francis yeah. is another guy. Yeah. The only team I think that comes close is the Chiefs. Right. With Tony Gonzalez and Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I still go Patriots. The other thing is. 
do well now like these are just the questions i think about it's june 22nd i know it's okay <laughs> how many positions do the patriots have that you could arguably make they've had the greatest player of all time at so, that position. So uh, Belichick did that 33rd team interview, yeah. and he he touched on this a little bit, yeah. that he's he thinks so in his he's mind coached. Yeah. he's coached the greatest offensive player, yeah. defensive player, and special teams player in the history of the NFL. So if we're going to go by position, though, for the Patriots, yeah. they have had, and I'll say arguably, but the greatest quarterback of all time. Not arguably, but yes. Right. Yeah. Tight end. Yep. Wide receiver. With Moss. With Moss. Yeah. Guard. Yep. It's a case to be made for John Hanna. There is. Um, I'm not going to hurt Patriots feeling, fans' feelings with this. Corner. Right Which corner? Revis. Okay. You could make an argument that they... I, not yeah. long-term, but I'm saying that they yeah. had the greatest player at that position. I guess if we're talking... If we're going to count Moss, then we have to you know give Revis... Well, like, you, could, you could say Revis isn't the greatest corner of all time. I personally don't think he is. No, I don't but think so. But some people do. Yeah. Kicker. Yep, sure. Coverage, whatever you want to call Special Matthew Slater, teams. and yep. coach. Yeah, yeah. That's like half a roster. If you want to go, like, also, uh, you know, it's tough now because we're getting into like the minutia yeah. of like, you know, well, but like third down back or like nose tackle, like true, like Vince Wilfork Is style. Vince Wilfork, the greatest nose tackle of all. I don't, I don't know. know if he's the greatest nose tackle of all time because that was a position that. Back in the day, there was a lot more options, right. um, but he's certainly one of the better modern nose tackles of all time. Yeah, but that's not that. The, 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 I, I like that there's not a lot of clarifications on this because think the greatest player of all time. Like, how hard is that? Yeah. There's only so many of those guys. Yeah, no, it's it's a good and, point. And quarterback, you can make a case that some are stronger than others. Yeah, quarterback, tight end, receiver, corner, um. Uh, Head coach, kicker, coverage guy. If yeah. you want to go by era, I mean, you you could say they had the best safety of the two. Oh no, they didn't. They had the best strong safety of the two thousands. Rodney and Rodney. He's not the best safety. It's Ed also, Reed. Also, also not um, Hall of Fame, which is stupid. Which is very stupid. The founding member of the thirty thirty club can't get in. Only, and he was the first. Ray Lewis has since joined him. Ray got in on the yeah. first ballot. For those of you who don't know what the thirty thirty club is, thirty career interceptions, thirty career sacks. The players who have done that, Rodney Harrison. Ray Lewis, end of list. And in terms of active players, the only guy who's at 15-15 is Harrison Smith. And Harrison Smith was a good player. I know he's still playing. He's not getting a 30-30. Okay. Nobody so, else is close. So I, I I said Bruce Armstrong at tackle because yeah. that's like just Patriots tackle. That's the name. So, so Leon Gray might have been better than the, the name that Sean So had. I pulled up like the all-decades teams. Yeah. Do you want the tackles from the all-decades teams? Yeah. All right, so we and this is pre Belichick because Leon Gray. I remember John Hanna talking about Leon Gray and how good Leon. Yeah, Gray at was. his uh, induction, that was thing. cool. Yeah. Um, so Pat Harlow was the All '90s tackle besides Armstrong. Yeah, only played four years. '80s Armstrong and Holloway. Yeah. '70s Leon Gray, Tom Neville. Yeah. And the '60s was Tom Neville and Charlie Long. I think it's Leon Gray. I think it's Leon Gray too. Yeah, and he's a left tackle. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. give me Leon Gray. He also played next to John Hanna. Everybody played next to John Hanna. Good player. Give John me, uh, give me, give me Leon Gray. You want one more weird Patriots? Yes. And then we got we, we got to get into the okay. into our AFC East preview. Yes. I'm very excited. By about the way, it. your left tackle Leon Gray six three two fifty six. It was a different so time. This is this is you know you know how I must feel about about John Hanna then 
All right, but you get him on a modern like weight plan, a modern oh, meal please. plan, you're and, gonna and get, he's gonna... you're gonna get six also, one, two hundred and fifty pound John Hanna on a modern weight plan. I think it's gonna make a difference with John Hanna's athleticism. You put I mean, him in the league is, now. Not, you put him in the league now. Maybe he's not a guard, but is I'm he not, like an okay linebacker? I'm not ready. Like this, this take is not air ready yet. This is this is no. I'm gonna make you. I, I, I've thought about it many times. You but. could say he's not a guard in the modern NFL, but with his athleticism, is he a player? He might be a player. I think he's a fullback. If he's like two inches taller, he's a great tight end. Uh, my other weird statistical thing, I've always wondered six this. Two, 265 for John Hanna. Six two two. He could play tight end. I think he's a fullback. He takes yeah, like a move because like, he was super athletic. Like a, yeah, like a um, like a George Kittle type. He's got to take a little weight or off. Like a Kyle Uzcheck. Kyle Uzcheck. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was thinking. I I, I think he's more like a, a true bat, like a James Devlin battering ram fullback personally. No, because he's got a little. He's got a little wiggle. Yeah, but he's two sixty five. Have you ever it's seen like him out tiny. in the open field? I know, but if he's going to be a fullback and have him take a little weight off, anyway. The other weird statistical Patriots thing I have long tried to figure out. Yeah. Is and this is this is Patriots and NFL. So we just sort of figured it out. With the Patriots. Like, how many generations of Patriots players have there been? There was the first team, the AFL, that a bunch of guys played 10 yeah. years. Then you had Julius Adams. Then you had Bruce Armstrong. Then you had Tom Brady. You can go back and you can pick anybody who's been on the team since 2019. There's a handful of guys now. We'll call it Slater. Yeah. You only need five players to go back to the start of the Patriots. To go back to the start of the NFL, and you can call that 1970, the merger. You can call it 1960. You can call it 1920, whatever. Yeah. Like, how many... What is the fewest players you would have to go back to go back to the beginning, right? Like, so Brady played with, like, because Brady was in the league forever. Brady played with, and this probably isn't the best example off the top of my head, but, like. We need a whiteboard for this. I know. I've tried to look this up, and it's really hard to figure out. Like, John Kerry, who, remember the Panthers kid? Yeah, yeah, around, yeah. Like, yeah. He began his career in, like, 1982. So, okay, is there a guy in 1982 who like who was the longest tenured player then? Who maybe played like in the late sixties? And then can you get somebody who maybe played from like the late forties into the early sixties? How many? What is the shortest chain of players to go back to get to the start of the NFL? I would love to know the answer to so that. You don't actually know the answer. No, that's what I'm saying. I've tried figuring <laughs> it out, but you need to like. There's so way... I thought you had a point to this. Your point is is that you don't actually know. My point is <laughs> it's five for the Patriots, so that means it's at. The most five going back to to 1960. Yeah. Maybe it can be done with fewer, but if anybody has the answer, I would very much like to know that and who the chain is because I think it would get very interesting. I saw somebody do this for baseball once, and it's like, who's the manager? Um, there or there was some pitcher who pitched in a game or or, or pitched in a game that Connie Mack managed, and he also pitched in a game that I think like Ken Griffey Jr. played, which is insane if you think about it. <laughs> So what is the equivalent of that for the NFL? Like, are there two guys that you think of just being night and day different eras that they're only gapped by one player? Okay. All Do you right. get what I'm saying? Yeah. If the, if the, sure. So, like, okay, I'll give you another one. Oh, no. Jerry Rice yeah. and um, Justin Jefferson yeah. are only gapped by one player. Tom Brady played against both of them. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? But Tom Brady played for 20 years. But that's my point. Like, what is the fewest? Isn't that kind of crazy, though, to think about? Uh, no. What is the fewest iterations <laughs> going back that you could do that? Oh, my God. You wouldn't enjoy this. No, I don't enjoy this. Somebody in the chat said uh, Chris Slade on the modern team. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. that would be cool, but... Chris Slade. Okay. You have a lot of pass rushers because you have him, yeah. Uche, Right, Judon. well, that's like... So, like, 
you know, obviously the best player is, is probably Tip, but I think I hit the table. Is that? Oh, my God. oh sorry, everybody. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, so obviously, like Tip comes to mind for everybody, right? But then you have Judon, Uche, Tip. Like obviously, that's dominant. But like at the same time, how does everybody play, and where does everybody play, and like? Probably Josh Uche is not on the field, honestly, in that group. As but. crazy as this sounds, I'm thinking more about this question. And yet, like the tackle history isn't as as strong in New England. I'm assuming we get this player in their prime, right? Yeah, yeah. Devin McCourty. He played for Bill Belichick. Oh, right, right. It's not Belichick players. I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit of Dolphins. I have a couple thoughts on the Dolphins. That was fun. Uh, so I, we're, you know, we can get into some roster nitty gritty with the Dolphins too. But I want to talk about and, and just for everybody to realize we're going to take the next. Hang couple on, real of, quick. Somebody in the chat pointed out Patrick Peterson played with Joey Porter Senior. and is going to play with Joey Porter Junior. You know this. I just don't care. I love this stuff. <laughs> you know, I just could care less. Uh, we're going to do this next couple weeks in this dead period. Uh, re. Um, introduce ourselves refamiliarize ourselves i guess the better word with the afc east uh, and uh starting with miami we'll do buffalo we'll do the jets as well so the dolphins uh, a few big picture things with the dolphins uh number one the question that i have in the the biggest question over the dolphins right now is is obviously to his health right like if Tua stays healthy they're a potential playoff team, dark horse contender, whatever you want to call it. I don't think they're truly like a Super Bowl contender, even with the healthy Tua, uh, but they're a dark horse team that could be, you know, a sneaky Super Bowl t- contender. M- other than Tua, and you know how 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 geeked up and nerded up was I about Mike McDaniel in the beginning last year, Alex? Like I I just you you I, fell for it. I fell for it, and you you know you're you you took your shots at at his nerdiness and and it all wasn't that. his nerdiness. He's not a good coach. Okay, so here's the bigger question I have with Miami, and then I also have a, a similar take about the defense. Did the league figure out Mike McDaniel, regardless of Tua's health, and? Does Mike McDaniel have the chops? Does he have the coaching acumen? Does he have the 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 Rolodex, quite frankly, to pivot, like to refigure out the league, right? Like, so they adjusted to some of the motion things that they were doing, like motioning Tyree Kill into the route and giving him that head start. And they teams were learning how to switch it off and pass it off and get away with it and and not get burned by it as badly they also started to figure out some of the rpo stuff and some of the motion things and misdirection smoke and mirrors when you watch the dolphins and you watch mike mcdaniel i think one of the things that really can uh, confuse teams with their offense is just like how many moving parts there are right like you got guys coming in motion and you got got you know outside zone and you got pull schemes and you got it does look like it's sort of like 3d chess offensive scheming but eventually teams just sort of figured it out uh the chargers started it um the the niners obviously that defense ate them alive but they they were that was during the niners hot streak defensively so the question is is does mike mcdaniel have a a plan b does he can he pivot can he play left-handed is there another thing that he can go to he talked about a little bit about like regret that they didn't run the football more. Like maybe that's what he thinks it is. I don't know. Uh, the other thing that I think is uh, also coaching related with the Dolphins, Vic Fangio, their defensive coordinator now. 
the Dolphins defensively throughout, I would say a, a, a large part of like our era of football yeah. last 20 years have been really talented on that side of the ball. Like even going back to like the early Brady years with like uh, Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas and like they've had some oh, real Do you you know my take about the early 2000s Dolphins? Yeah, they probably would have been if if the uh, Dolphins get moved to the AFC South like they should have been instead of the Colts, yeah. they are the Patriots biggest rival in the early part of the dynasty. They had, that team was loaded on yeah. defense. They had Ricky Williams at a time when having an elite running back mattered. Yeah. Those teams were stacked. That's another di- dynasty the Patriots killed. So I, I think over the last couple of years, the Dolphins have also been pretty well-equipped defensively in terms of talent. You know, Xavier Howard, uh, I love Christian Wilkins. I think he's a really good player. Uh, they trade for Bradley Chubb. They draft Jalen Phillips, who I think is going to be a, a sneaky breakout star type of guy uh, for them this year. But, and I love Flo, uh, Brian Flores. I think he's a good coach. It They've always seemed to not get the most out of that talent sometimes on the defense side of the ball. They have all the star power in the world. And I know your feelings on Jalen Ramsey, but they have Jalen Ramsey. They have Xavier Howard. They have Christian Wilkins. They got guys that can play. Uh, I mentioned the two edge rushers. And now they got Fangio. Fangio scares me is my, is my, the end of this, this rant here. Fangio, his ability to scheme it up, his ability uh, to set, and and really the most important thing, I don't even know if it's necessarily game plan, he's going to install a system. Yeah. And it's going to be sound, and it's going to be uh, a system that they can plug and play. And last year, for example, they came here with Skylar Thompson and Teddy Bridgewater Dolphins, and a, a big reason why the Patriots won that game was the quarterback situation for Miami, no doubt. But do you remember that they were down like 10 corners in that game and they still came out and like played blitz man for the whole first half. And then finally they started playing some more zone and and all of a sudden the Patriots offense couldn't move the ball anymore. I don't think that they're going to be like that defensively where they're, they're kind of just not really doing what plays to the, their strengths and their personnel. Fangio is going to have that group well coached and they got tons of talent on that side of the football I think the Dolphins are are a really good roster, and now the question ultimately is: Are they going to be a really good, a really well coached team, to the point where the the ship is pointed in the right direction for them on both sides? That's right. The one other thing I'd say about the Dolphins, and I think this is something that's done them in the last couple of years, their their roster looks really nice at the top. Yeah, and you talk about not getting the most out of the personnel. I think it's because guys get hurt. They've never had a ton of depth. Yeah, they seem to be a team that they lose one guy and it it changes. So they they address that on defense a little bit with Cam Smith. A little bit with who? They drafted Cam Smith. Yeah, yeah. So, no, so they now, definitely need a cornerback. So, depth. so now they have more cornerback depth. Than they I think used. that helps. So, but you you know, and we'll see. They're they're trying to add to Alvin Cook, right? But like at running back, they're not super deep. I know we think of their wide receiver room as being loaded. Kind of drops off after Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, I like, think Braxton Berrios is like slotted as the top Bra- slot. Receiver I mean, their right next now. couple guys are Braxton Berrios, uh, Chosen Anderson. Wh- wh- why can't I think of his name? Uh, Robbie Anderson. Yeah. Uh, River Craycraft, which is an absurd name. Cedric yeah. Wilson Jr. Like the, Cedric man, Wilson's a fine player. He's a but that's not when he's you're Kendrick trying to replace. Bourne-ish. I think Kendrick Bourne's better. You know their tight end room isn't great. Yeah. So. I, I, I think the one thing with them is injuries. That's what It's what cuffed them last year, and Mike McDaniel being a bad coach, not able to call a play. The other thing they, they, that they did that I like is 
they have much better Tua insurance this time around. Like, Mike White's a legitimate mm-hmm. NFL quarterback. I don't know that he's a guy you're building a team around. I don't think he's a starter. But if Mike yeah. White, he's a guy I feel a lot better about, you know, Skylar Thompson, you had to throw in there for a couple games. Don't feel great about right. that. And who else was it last year? Uh, Teddy. Teddy Bridgewater. Well, I, I like Teddy more than Mike White. But the, I do. I kind of do. But Teddy's also an injury. Teddy gets hurt a lot. And yeah. that's the one thing I don't want. I want yeah. my backup quarterback to be willing to play through anything. So yeah. I if, if, if Mike White has to start five or six games, I think they're in pretty good shape. Yeah. I think they're in pretty good shape if that has to happen. But the, normally it's depth on defense. Like you said, I think they, they did a good job of addressing that this offseason. But the depth on the offense is kind of questionable. It's a skill position players. So and then you know, just to poke holes in Miami because we love to do that here. Yeah, their offensive line still has outside of Teron Armstead, their tackle situation's a little bit thin. Uh, I mean, they have Isaiah Wynn, right? Yeah. Who who could actually play for them at right, r- at right tackle? So their fo- their tackles. I'm just going to read them all off. You're yeah. not going to go through left left and right. Teron Armstead, Jerron Christian, Ryan Hayes, a rookie, Austin Jackson, Kendall Lamb. Cedric uh, Obegi, I think is how you pronounce that. Keon Smith, James uh, Tunstall, and Isaiah Wynn. So Austin Jackson is kind of their Isaiah Wynn. Like he was a high, highly drafted guy that hasn't really panned yeah. out. Uh, he's better than Isaiah Wynn, I think, uh, just in terms of availability. Uh, right. But he he's a similar guy that has a lot of talent that hasn't really lived up to the potential. I still think that they're going to be okay at the on the line because McDaniel the one thing that you can truly say about the Shanahan scheme is that it does protect the offensive line quite a bit because they move the pocket they play action they RPO like they do a lot of those little gimmicks to to protect the line and they have Armstead who's one of the best tackles in the league so I, I think that they'll be all right but they're still in the same spot that I think the Dolphins have been in a lot of the last couple years I think we're on the same page with this their top end talent is great They've always had good top end talent. It seems like they've always been, other than like the few pockets of down, really down years that they've had as an organization over the last twenty years or so. We mentioned the early two thousands: Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, Dolphins. That team had top end talent. This team right. has top end talent. It's going to be depth and it's going to be coaching. And I still, the Patriots beat them last year with Skylar Thompson and Teddy Bridgewater. That wasn't a true straight up game. Uh, I hate it. I hate that this is a thing. Uh, I, the Patriots still haven't beaten Tua, right? Like No. So how concerned are I, – I don't know if concern is the right word, but how do you see those two games this year playing out? Like is this a year uh, that they could finally play Tua? They're going to play Tua, I would think, right, in week two. I mean, right. it would have yeah. to take a really uh, – a week one injury to Tua to not face him in the second week of the season, which with him I guess is theoretically possible, but I, I hope not for his sake because – That'd be scary. So, uh, week two, they're probably going to play the Tua Dolphins, not the Mike White Dolphins. Yeah, I, I would think so. You know, is Tyreek Hill going to play? They if if they don't have Tyreek Hill, the Patriots should be. Able He's going to be fine. This is like this is a this is an extortion money grab thing the, going on in Miami. The one other problem, it, honestly, I think the Patriots, even if they have Tyreek Hill, can handle that Dolphins offense the way they're built now. It's Bradley Chubb, yeah. Jalen Phillips, those guys coming off the edge against their current tackle group. That's going to be the Patriots' biggest nightmare. Yeah, so I, I was on a, a podcast yesterday. I don't know when he's going to post it with Travis Wingfield, who's like my equivalent for the Dolphins, for yep. Dolphins.com. And uh, he, they're really high on Jalen Phillips down there. You know, they, they really think that he's 
a breakout star candidate, a guy that's going to take that next step. If he does take the step that they think he, it reminds me a little bit of like how we were talking about Christian Barmore coming into year two, right? Like right. this guy's going to be an, a Pro Bowl caliber talent this year for us. If that's what ends up happening with Jalen Phillips, with him and Bradley Chubb, and then Wilkins in the middle, you can't with Wilkins. Wilkins is a problem in his own right. How do you you're gonna have some one on ones on the outside, I guess is my point, with those two guys. And those two guys can both get after the quarterback. So if I'm the Patriots and looking at it with the Dolphins, I, I'm with you. That that seems to be I almost would venture to say that that's a bigger fear than Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle is how are you gonna block their front? And, right. and how are you going to prevent the oh, front from taking over? The way the Patriots, I don't know that that's going to be every team's biggest fear yeah. when facing the Dolphins, but for the Patriots, it absolutely is. So where do you see the Dolphins finishing? Wait, do you have a? I don't know. Where were they last year? Uh, they well, they made the they were made the playoffs. They did make. They were eight. the last wild card team. I, yeah. I think probably nine and eight, ten and seven somewhere. If if they get a full season out of Tua, what do you think about your boy Tua? I don't know if he's I'm, necessarily your boy, yeah, but he's an Alabama. No, guy. I liked Tua coming out. I, I, my take on Tua has really never changed as long as he's been in the NFL. Everybody talks about him having a weak arm and not being able to throw down the field. Yeah. You didn't watch him to Alabama if you say that. He was yeah. one of the best deep ball throwers so, I've ever seen in the col- at the college yeah. level. And yeah. then in his last college game, he suffered a very, very serious hip injury, basically right. the Bo Jackson injury. and. Yeah. He completely had a re- he had to relearn how to throw a football, and I mean when you throw something football baseball whatever right yeah so much of it hip, is hips oh the Dak Prescott that's where you generate your yeah. power right and I just don't think he's ever fully recovered back. from that injury and he's kind of had to relearn how to play the game yeah and so that's that's how how you get a guy that at times there's flashes of brilliance but there's seeming. You know, I feel other him. times you watch him, you think, how is this guy ever considered being a first overall pick? Yeah, he's never been physically. This isn't a he didn't have the talent thing. He's never physically in the NFL been the guy I remember watching at Alabama. He's never gotten to that point. And what can you do about it? He yeah. suffered a terrible injury. But I just if he hasn't worked through that now, now I they've done a tremendous job of. Because he's not the player they drafted. He's right. not the guy they thought they were getting. They've done a tremendous job of pivoting and basically saying, all right, well, this guy can, can't can throw deep anymore, but he can throw a really accurate five-yard slant. He can yeah. run the RPO super well. Let's load up on fast yak guys. Yeah. You talk about building an offense for your quarterback. Taylor, we talk about this with Mac Jones right. a lot, right? How can the Patriots not just add talent around Mac Jones but emphasize his skills? The Dolphins have done a tremendous job of adjusting and putting players around Tua that maximize what he does best now. I just think there's a part of him that wants to be the guy he was at Alabama. I don't blame him for that, that he's just never going to be that guy again because I don't think he can physically yeah, do it. Yeah, honestly, I feel for him. And I, I know as a Patriots fan, like you're kind of happy that he didn't turn out to be Justin Herbert, right? Like if they had drafted Justin Herbert instead of Tua, then... Well, remember, he was supposed to get drafted over Joe Burrow. Yeah, yeah. That was the conversation. Yeah, so... And it wasn't an insane conversation at the time. No, and I, so I, I think you're happy that it didn't turn out this way, but I feel for Tua because I don't know if it's just because I know the injury and how serious it was. I think also partially uh, the fact that he's a lefty, like... It just kind of looks weird. When I mean, he if you the watch ball. the video of it flipped, it, his throwing motion looks so much better. At the same time, though, doesn't it kind of look like it's hurts for him to throw the football sometimes? 
Like I, I feel like it, it looks. But that's like what it, I'm saying. It looks I, like it legitimately hurts. But him I to throw the football. I think he when he wants to really uncork one, I think he has to overextend himself. Yeah. And again, it, you're not wrong in that, and that's why people sit here and say, "Oh, he's got a weak arm. He's got a noodle arm." That was ne- at Alabama. He's putting it sixty yards easy yeah. on a dot. So I, it's it's just he, the injury completely changed the way he so, plays the game. Right, but I look at Tua, and and maybe you disagree, but I look at Tua's arm talent and and the what he's good at throwing, and say that it's not all that different from Mac Jones, where I think both of them can still throw a, a pretty deep ball and what I, I mean by deep ball is like the touch rainbow throws right like the 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 true step into it and and throw it up there and and arc it up there the throws that i would i am concerned with Tua, which similar to the mac are the are the real drive throws like can he right can he hit a 25 yard post and just like stick his foot in the ground and throw it on the line can he make it you know a far hash out to the sideline on a on a 15 yard out like those types of throws those are when the ball kind of hangs up on him. I still think, and, and part of this is obviously because he's throwing to Tyreek, and so Tyreek is so open that it, it allows for that margin of error. But I still think he can throw a deep ball. But he can't. what he can't do is he can't drive the football. Right. At Alabama, he could do both. Right. Now yeah. he can't do either. So I actually look at him and, and Mack, and they kind of have similar arm talent and like sort of flaws in the right. way they throw the football at this now point. Now they do, and that's it. they didn't at at yeah. Alabama, which is, I think, why there's such a difference in perception. Yeah, yeah. Which I would encourage people. I, I know we all like to hate on Tua and, and whatever. If you never really watched him at Alabama, you want to see some awesome – because he was unique. Like It was yeah. like, this guy's doing stuff that, yeah. you know, at his size – to play the way he was playing hadn't really been done. Right, because like the comps are, were from a cerebral pocket move. Like a lot of people used, would say Drew Brees, but I think he had better arm talent than he Drew had, Brees. And he moved so much. Like as a runner, he could contribute yeah. as a runner, which he doesn't yeah. do anymore because I think he's worried about getting hurt again. Yeah. If you want to see some really fun quarterback play, go watch that that Tua season at Alabama. That's, that's some of the best college quarterback play I've seen in the last decade or so. Uh, he was a really special player, and it just sucks. He did. It's part of football, but it sucks he had to deal with that injury. All right, so there's your Miami Dolphins preview. We'll do. Let's do the. We'll do the Jets next we'll week because I have some week. takes about this Jets team. I. I don't know. The if Jets I'm, are goofy. I don't know if I'm a believer as much in the Jets as some other people are. We'll get to the Jets next week, but really quickly before we sign off, we have to talk about Marcus Smart for like five minutes. All yeah. right, really quickly. You and I have not. Believe it or not, you and I, I don't think, have disagreed more on a sports thing than we disagree on Marcus Smart. Like, this, I think, might be our biggest... On a player. I mean, you hate golf. <laughs> but on an individual player, yes. That's true. On an individual player. You also I also like think, Brooks Kepka. I don't think we have ever disagreed on an individual player more than we do on Marcus Smart. Yeah. So... You don't get it. You don't get... You, you don't know ball. It's, uh, I don't, it's yeah, fine. Right? Uh, how how do you how are you feeling today, Alex? Are you okay? Are I don't okay? love it. I, I don't Dude, love are, it. For, are you are you in a pint of Ben and Jerry's well, later today? Put put the emotional attachment to Marcus Smart aside. Why do you have a, why do you have emotional attachment? Because that guy because in a league that has become so increasingly soft. Him. In a league that has become so increasingly <laughs> soft, that guy still plays the right way. Oh, he still yeah. plays He's with hustle. And boss. He plays Alex, physical. For every single Celtics fan, every single person. In this town, and this is going to get me fired up because every single person in this town 
has told me that the Celtics don't have a clutch team. They don't have any balls. They get pushed around. They don't rise up to the occasion. Okay, but trading the and one their guy, heart and soul is Marcus Smart. But trading so the one does, guy who was close to that. Here's the thing, How does Evan, he have it, but the whole team I, doesn't if he's the leader of the team? I Because he's not the best player on the team. I And I think his voice got drowned out at times. I, you think it got drowned yes, out? Yes. I like basketball players that play like football players. Just have that <laughs> okay, approach. But, okay. Marcus Smart was a strong safety on the basketball court. There's okay. a March Madness game from 2017 between Florida State and Florida Gulf Coast. There were I What think, does this have to do with Marcus Smart? There were 45 fouls called in that game and probably yeah. another 45 that should have been called that weren't. That is my favorite basketball game of all time. How are you going to sit here and wonder how I like Marcus Smart? I like a guy with some edge. Play how many? Remember that game against the Rockets that it went to overtime, and he yeah. basically just got in James Harden's grill, and James Harden couldn't take it. The more we go on, the more of those soft mentality. Don't want it because they're like, dude, I'm trying to inbound the ball. What are you bumping me? Marcus Smart plays a full 48 minutes. That's what he does. The Celtics team doesn't always do that. Well, it didn't and rub I think off sometimes people got annoyed that Mark. Well, because I think his teammates got annoyed that he did it. Because it made them look bad at times. Throw the emotional attachment to Marcus Smart out of it. Yeah. Marcus Smart. And look, I think ultimately the people who hated Marcus Smart underrated him. The people who loved Marcus Smart overrated him. I think he honestly sat somewhere in the middle. But this was a guy that was recently defensive player of the year. A he guy, wasn't the same guy last he, year. He, he was recently a defensive player of the year. <laughs> yeah. He was a guy that put up, I think it was 18-6-5 in the playoffs. Yeah. You can get more for that player, regardless of who he is. All I don't want to hear they got two firsts for him. They got one first, which is the Warriors, so that's nothing. And the other first, they didn't really get. They moved up from thirty-five to twenty-five. Yeah, this which is the getting NBA mis- draft doesn't. This mean is anything. getting misconstrued. Like right, it, it was a pick swap. So it wasn't a. Could they get? And yes, they also got Porzingis. But what I would say is. Can they get? Oh yeah, they could also they have got, got twenty four and eight from Porzingis. Would, so could they have gotten Porzingis without getting Marcus? Mar- Why did well, they need the picks? Could you uh, just leave the okay. picks alone and put on? You know, okay. I, I, so here, so here's the thing. Here, yeah. Here's my response to that because I, I, there is an emotional attachment to Marcus Mar. I was yeah. only teasing you. He was. He's been on the team for nine years. He bleeds green. Celtic. He loves Boston. He played. Yeah. He played like a Celtic. Yes. He he played. Like a Celtic, yeah. and as a Celtics fan, I so I, last night went to bed. This was all still going on, so I was one of those people that woke up to the trade this morning. And I woke up, looked at my phone, saw like thirty texts from me, saw thirty texts from you, saw the Woj bomb tweets because like, I still I have notifications yeah. on on my phone. And I I got out of bed and uh, I was just sitting there for a second at the end of the bed. Uh, we have like a little yeah, yeah, little yeah, yeah. stool there at the end. I was just sitting Very there. fancy. And uh, and Jessica's like, what's wrong? Like, are you okay? I was like, the Celtics traded Marcus Smart. And she just goes, oh. <laughs> and I was like, that's what it is. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she was like, are you are you all right? Are you going to are you gonna be okay? And I was like, I don't really know. I don't know how to feel about this. And y- I felt that way as somebody that you know you don't like Marcus I don't Smart. like Marcus Smart but as a Celtics fan and as a as somebody that that is a true green teamer and bleeds green 
I, I wept f- for this trade a little bit. I, you had to, this was one of those trades where you had to mourn it for a second before you reacted to it as a basketball But fan. I still, e- even with that, and look, I've seen some people compare it to the Nomar trade, which is we all hated seeing Nomar go, yeah. but they had to do it. Yeah. I, I think, I don't remember. I don't think it's that. I don't remember Nomar ever being hated like Marcus You Martis. know what it reminds me of? It re- kind of reminds me of the Bruins letting Bruce Cassidy go. Okay, so here, so here's my, my big thing for you. Yeah. You have been text. I've been team stay the course. Yes. Right. Like the guys, they'll mature. They'll develop. Tatum's still young. Like he, once he hits his age 27 season, that's yes. when it's really time to, to start to put pressure on him to win a championship. So I've been team stay the course. You have tell, been telling me that you turn into the Boston Bruins if you just stay the course. So trading Mark is smart. But. Your okay. own words. Trading no. Marcus Smart should me be good, right? Because they no, because obviously that comes with <laughs> how the, is that not because I think obviously there's the understanding that when you make the trade, you're going to be a better team after you make the trade. You're going to trade players for what they're worth, not less. Are the Celtics a better, or worse basketball team today than they were yesterday? I think right at this present moment they're worse, right? But I think that I see the path that if they add another ball handler, that they're going to be better. How? How are they adding a ball handler? They added two worthless picks and they traded two of their best tradable contracts. Basically, they have to nail trading Grant Williams. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. They yeah. can't do anything better than highway robbery trading Grant. If they do that, great. And for all the people well, saying Chris Paul, he got traded during the show. By the yeah, way, yeah, but for Jordan Poole, yeah, they are just trying to get trade. rid of Jordan Poole. Yeah. Um, I, 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 they are worse. And honestly, they might be better in the long term. I don't really care about the long term. Win a title. So Win I, a title so right here, now. Here's the thing, though. Here's why I really... So once I... I recovered this morning. Yeah. And, and once I once I, I went and got some coffee and 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 uh, you know got got my mind my mind off the fact that that Marcus Smart's no longer a Celtic. Here's the thing. I actually don't mind moving on from Marcus Smart. And I don't mind acquiring Kristaps Porzingis. I just don't like how we got here. Right. It, That's what it is. No. That, because that, I had Kristaps Porzingis for Malcolm Brogdon. Right. Exactly. Which was a great trade. But now, I had, but now we had to throw in Marcus Smart. So the optics of of the steps that it took to get Kristaps Porzingis are ugly for this. Optics. No, but they I are. think it goes beyond optics. Did they need to give up Marcus Smart? Was there a way? Call it. Uh, and and they would need to add yeah. more money. So call it like Peyton Pritchard. Uh, they obviously dealt Gallo, Gallo and yeah. Muscala. And I don't know. Maybe maybe this is where you, this is where I would have done the Grant Williams sign a trade. Yeah, try to at least. and just or just use a trade exception or something. I, they didn't need those picks. I don't see how those picks okay. help. Okay, so here's so here's, but, can you do that trade without giving up Marcus Smart? I believe the answer is yes. If you are okay with not getting the picks, which I would be very okay. With. Okay, so here so here's. The, Two more things about yeah. this. Chris Dapps. I actually really like adding I, Porzingis. I, I, I liked really it like better it. when it was for Brogdon because the one knock on him is the injuries. And for me, yeah. it was you're trading an injured guy for an injured guy. Sure. Great. Uh, he's got to play. He Marcus has to Smart play was injured a lot last year, He too. played through a lot, though. Okay, so here's the thing with, with why I love Chris Dapps, though. This, first of all, it's great. Like I think their roster is is more spread out in terms of the depth yeah. now. He's a great fit with Tatum, too. And so now that you know Al's like 100 years old. I'm not sure Al comes back. Rob Williams. That's the guy. You trade Al Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Mike Muscala, Danilo Gallinari for Kristaps Porzingis. Forget right. the picks. That should have well, been the I trade. I don't know if they would have done it 
Anyways, you have, should have done it. Al, Al Horford is 100 years old. Yeah. You can't count on Rob Williams. So right. this gives you another big, if they're all healthy, you can play two big lineups. If they're not all healthy, then at least you still have one big probably out of those three that's healthy enough to play. The other thing is, is that I have really felt like this Celtics team has missed the pick and roll two man game at the yeah. top of the key. And they, Rob can run, you know, can can rim run, right? He can right. Ca- catch the lob. Al can pick and pop, but neither one of those guys is like a dynamic scorer. That when Tatum comes off the screen, the defense has to react in some sort of way. That's not just trapping Tatum and getting him to pass up the fo- uh, the football, the basketball. Now with Porzingis, this is a guy that scored twenty five four points a game. Like he can actually yeah. score and, and the ball. He was one of the, and I hate using the metrics, but according to the metrics, he was one of the elite screen players in the league. Right, last year. So, so you get that. It's not just pick and pop to the three point line. He can catch the ball at the free throw line, score the basketball from there. Whether it's inside, taking a little yeah. jump shot, whatever the case may be, and that type of offense adding the pick and roll game and adding like that little two man off of each other type of offense gives them like something to hang their hat on. Like this is good. Like we can do this every time down and get points. Porzingis has to stay healthy for that to happen. Yeah. The other thing I would add is there, you you talked before about like Marcus Smart didn't know his role on the team and all of that. Yeah. And maybe the Jays were mad. He was taking too many shots. Fine. Kristaps Porzingis is a guy that should get shots. Yeah. Jason Tatum, really, Jalen Brown has to know he's going to get less shots with Chris. He yeah. should be taking less shots with Kristaps Porzingis on the team. Specifically, he should be taking less threes with Kristaps Porzingis on the team. He needs to be a guy now that is full on attacking the basket, right? Because Kristaps Porzingis is six three, but he's a perimeter shooter. Seven, the beauty three. of that seven three, yeah. The beauty of that is you take the other team's best big defender right. and pull him out of the paint. Yeah. Somebody has to capitalize on that. That has to be Jalen Brown. Honestly, you know I'm not a big Jalen Brown guy. He's at his best. When I love him is when he gets the ball, jab step, and just goes to the basket because he's so much stronger than everybody else. But he seems to hate doing that. He wants to be a pull-and-pop guy. He wants to be Tatum. He just wants to shoot threes. Jalen Brown needs to be a downhill player this year for this team to hit its ceiling. He he needs to he yeah. can shoot threes when he's open, but he needs to I be just attacking think, the basket for this team to maximize. Yeah, this I, year. I, and we we should wrap because this is not a Celtics podcast. I know, but I, I I think that what's what's really what I like about Porzingis the most is that I do think it makes them more efficient in the half court. Like I think that they now have a ha- they have sets that they can run with Porzingis involved, where they they can actually play a little bit of complimentary basketball and it's not that five out just chuck threes and hope good things happen type of offense they should be more consistent on offense with Porzingis in the mix but it, it was sad it was sad to wake up to that mainly shocking just because I, I don't think that that was not the initial trade at all and that was not the initial uh framework of the trade but it was it was sad to see marcus marco this morning is a, a good celtic guy i don't know what the warriors are doing they're what whatever they're trading for uh for chris paul for jordan pool seems like a weird move but basketball hot stove is is heating up as they say but uh we will be back next week here on cash 22 we'll continue monitoring all the news with jack jones and deandre hopkins and we'll get into some more afc's preview but until then signing off for alex barth i'm evan lazar thanks for watching thanks for listening this is not a celtics podcast i promise you we'll see you next week thank you for downloading this podcast subscribe on apple google play and everywhere else you listen 
like the show, please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.